Hey there, it's Melissa Brunetti, and welcome to the Mind Your Own Karma podcast. Hey there, Karma Crew. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Mind Your Own Karma, The Adoption Chronicles. Today, I have an adoptee story for you, Ryan Anderson. He was born in Morocco and raised from six months old in Edinburgh, Scotland. He is a transracial, transnational foundling and an LDA or late discovery adoptee. He traveled the world for a decade in an attempt to escape these challenges of being an adoptive person. Now he is more passionate than ever about raising awareness about mental health by sharing his lived experience. Here's my interview with Ryan Anderson. We are welcoming Ryan Anderson to the show today. Hi, Ryan. Hello, everyone. He is from Scotland, so you're going to hear this great accent. <laughs> I don't look Scottish, but uh, yeah, I sound Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> we'll enjoy your voice. So I just want to jump right into your story and get to know you a little bit. Um, you say you were a foundling. So tell us what you know about your adoption and what were the circumstances? What do you know? Yeah, so um, I was born in Morocco, and a foundling kind of used the self-explanatory. Um, I don't know anything. I was don't know um, if I was born in a hospital. If I was born in, I was. I think I've been told that I was found on the street, really mm. um, malnourished and unhealthy, and I was brought to the hospital, and yeah, no, uh, no information. And um, back in 1990, this happened a lot in Morocco. Uh, I think there was a TV program, there was like 25 babies a day this happened to. And that can be because of poverty, that can be because the mums had an affair and uh, the religion that's not uh, frowned upon and they can get shamed, they can get in trouble from the police. So um, back then it was quite a serious matter. That's crazy that in the 90s that that was going on. Yeah. That's crazy. So, the, um, yeah, they've cut down a lot to this day and age, which is good for, so it doesn't happen to other people. Yeah. But then there's also people like myself who have got to live with that. And, um, right. and then also, if you even just open your mind, there's other countries, China, um, India, Korea, their adoption figures are more than Morocco. So... It's, it's quite happens all over the world some some countries can deal with it better um, and some countries are not able to and um morocco back then wasn't as it's quite a poor country so um yeah and so that's all you know i mean and a lot of times even in the united states a lot of people are told whatever their circumstances were about why they were put up for adoption and a lot of times it comes out to be not true so you just don't yeah. know there was a figure that i seen that us adoptees were like between one or maybe five percent of the population so then that's a minority so then me me being um, a foundling and then a minority within the minority so at times that can be quite hard to deal with but um, I'm doing my best to thrive under it and obviously I don't want people to think like about as as much of a sob story I have got I'm a positive guy and I'm trying to um, do my best to crack on 
and that's obviously that doesn't define me does it what what happened in the past yeah no it doesn't but how did that affect you when you first heard yeah. that you were a foundling so being a foundling then so I was brought from Morocco brought to Scotland and my adopted dad he's Moroccan as well and um so I didn't find out I was adopted until the 18th um and so you were 18 I didn't guess because my adopted dad is the same color as skin of me and um yeah and so finding out at 18 it made me ashamed and I was also ashamed growing up because our family was, was different um mm. so you was always just trying to fit in and when you're always being adopted you're trying to fit in and yeah when you're always trying to fit in it's it's difficult isn't it did you know did you have a feeling like something was off growing up yeah I felt odd yeah but um, I used to lie and say that I was born in Scotland when I knew I was born in Morocco and um, I thought oh I'm just dark-skinned because I was born in Morocco when my siblings my adopted siblings they were born in the UK that's the reason why they're not seeing skin so color. you did know that you were born in Morocco yes. you did know that part yes so did you think your parents like they had you in Morocco then? Like they, your mom gave birth to you in Morocco. Is that kind of what you're believing? Yeah, that's that's. I didn't really yeah. question it, but I did, yeah. as I says, going back to the years, you know, I was a nice kid, but I also had a temper, and mm. uh, quite a lot of adoptees have that. So mm-hmm. not everyone, but uh, yeah. it's known. So it's like when people are adopting, you've got to, you've got to basically know what they're getting themselves in for it's uh, and yeah especially adopting a kid of color if um if their kid has dealt with any racism have they got the the tools the the answers to support them yeah and if they don't then that kid's just left to deal with it themselves so it's important questions yeah a lot of education that needs to happen i think at least things are things are better now yeah um it's Quite, you hear quite a lot in conversations about uh, people wanting to adopt. And usually people are adopting because something's happened to them in their life. But there is a lot of great adoptions that's happened. Yeah. So there's also a flip side when there's not a lot. There is always so, that conflict when that um, comes up in conversations. Say you're out somewhere and someone's saying, oh, we're going to adopt. And don't you have like all these thoughts roll through your head? Like, what should I like you want to say something to them, like you need to get educated mm-hmm. on what's going on. But I mean, there, mm-hmm. I always have that conflict, you know, should I say something? I end up usually not saying anything, but yeah, I just want to say, wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you need, really need to do your homework. Yes, but, um, definitely. So you said you were a late discovery adoptee and you found out when you were 18. So what happened with that? How'd you find out? So, um, well, my parents got divorced and then I found out and I was just like, it's me against the world attitude. I moved, I got my own flat, I got my, I got my job. I planned to go to uni mm. and stuff and study. Uh, but that went out the window, got a job and I just started uh, rebuilding my life. But there was still a part of shame in me where I, so I kept my adoption a secret, not telling literally no, mm. no one and making that t- taboo subject and it was never talked about. And um, at any time it was, it, it was like a big, inside my stomach, it was, it was a horrible mm. feeling. So around that age, I got involved in alcohol and drugs a little, or a lot. Um, but 
I'd already took alcohol and drugs before I knew I was adopted, so it wasn't as if I turned to them. They were just, that's the culture over here. You get into clubs uh, and bars and nightlife, and it was living for the weekend. Yeah. And uh, you just, that's where I just became like a party animal. And it was some some great times. And you can, you can handle it normally when you're young. But as the years get older, you learn that your body can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, uh, I've tried. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, I'm actually three weeks, or four weeks, sorry, off drugs and alcohol mm, at the moment. Um, and um, yeah, I just, I want to just try it, giving my body a yeah. reset um, and my mind because it's all, it's everyone's balance. Right. People need to find each other's individual balance because. As much as I've said I've not had any alcohol in the last four weeks or drugs, I've had, say, three or four or five down days. So it's not the be-all and end-all, is it? Yeah. So, so sometimes taking that away, can you need to have a, a good balance about it. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm still working on that. Yeah. But also just try to set a good example. Yeah. So how did you find out? I mean, did you find some paperwork or...? How did you find out that you so, were? Yeah, it was my um, my mother wrote me a letter because mm. um, I confronted her. We were, I think, my mother wanted to tell me at age sixteen, then it moved to eighteen, and it was coming up to my birthday. And um, yeah, there was just from my adopted mother's point of view, she was I think she planted it. She thought she was doing best, and then when she tried to tell me at sixteen, just got scared, mm. and then told me at eighteen, um, and. My reaction was, it was floods of tears, ran away. And then um, even probably to this day, I still say, that's damaged me. <laughs> uh, that one, that, that this lie, mm. which is why it's so important to not, um, to tell your kids yes. right from the start. Because um, some people think that it is okay to not tell them yeah can you elaborate a little bit on that and just for education purposes I know we say that a lot but what did that do to you how were you feeling well it's it's kind of took away uh my ability to trust mm-hmm. um it took away 12 years of um something eating up inside of you um so when I was 18 yeah, just basically uh, keeping a secret. It's not. It wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, basically. I think the big thing is the trust, yeah. like you said. I, for me, that would be. I just can't even imagine. I was one of those that knew. I never remember being told like I always knew. So when I hear these stories, it just really breaks my heart. I, I don't know what I would would do. I don't know. But then, like I've came out. I've turned out okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's not it's not destroyed me that much. It's a, it's a setback. We've all we've all dealt with our own our own stuff. So it's not like this is this big. It is tragic, but it's not yeah. the worst things out there that like, can be done to you. Right. Um, it did take away, like, like say, it took it took away me trusting someone to have a relationship, or me. I could have been talking about mental health at age nineteen, twenty. Everything's supposed to happen the way it was. I'm supposed to gone through my party phase and now learned age does play a big factor because as you get older um 
you realise what um, people are growing up, and when people like myself aren't growing up as much, I'm still like a kid, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, which which has its pros and cons. Yeah. Um, that's when you start to realise, oh, I've not got a family, um, of my own. I've not got a house or a flat, a property. Um, you start to look for what you've not got and forget what you've got. Yeah. And um, yeah, when really we should all just try and find find what we have got in life. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're using what you've learned and what you've been through to help others, which is, I believe, what we're supposed to be doing. So, so you met your foster family. What was that like? And did they have any yeah. information for you about your biological family? Um, found out 18, got a job, got a flat. Then I got um, went to Ibiza and uh, travelled the world. But I'd never travelled back to Morocco because I was always scared. And then locked. Scared of what? Just, I don't know. Just It was just like... The unknown. The, the Morocco was... Yeah, the unknown. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting about that. That's uh, I'm ashamed of that. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've travelled the whole world. Not the whole world, but I've travelled lots of places as much as I can, partying... Uh, everyone thinks I'm li- living a good life. Really, I was just escaping. And then uh, lockdown happened. No, you couldn't travel anymore. And that's when I started my recovery mm-hmm. and started to talk about mental health. I'd done a year off drinking drugs. And yeah, then I went to visit Morocco. Uh, I've been twice, so I'm going to go for a third time. Um, the, yeah, so the second time is when I did visit my foster family. Um, so... Just rewind to 1990, I was adopted at three months. Then my mum, then filling out all the paperwork, it's not straightforward over there, you need to pay. And then they were gonna, my mum tried to take me out of the country, my adopted mum, and then the authority said, no, there's something missing. So because of lack of funds, my, fa- my adopted parents had to travel back to the UK for three months. Oh, wow. So they gave me to a family of four. And then... The, the, uh, hence my foster family, and they all remember me from 33 years ago. So when, oh. so then out of that four, family of four, the one woman who looked after me the most, when she seen me, she was shaking, holding my hand, and oh. um, was so excited to see me and cuddling me, and, could, and then went to her house. She just lives in a farm in the middle of nowhere. And uh, it was pitch black when I went down. <laughs> she actually phoned me nearly four or five times a week, and I can't oh, speak. Wow. I can't speak Arabic. So she, <laughs> she she phones me. I know like a couple of words. <laughs> so she phones me. I was like, "Hello, salam alaikum, alaikum salam," yeah. uh, waving at her, and um, she's speaking in Arabic, waving, smiling, and I don't know what she's saying. <laughs> and uh, so she's oh, she's she, she must be asking uh wondering when I'm going back. So um and obviously mm. remember I'm going to these countries I don't speak Arabic, so it can be a bit dangerous. Yeah. Which yeah. I've I've experienced some of the danger oh, wow. in Morocco. Oh wow. Um, from being frauded to nearly being kidnapped. <laughs> but, oh my god. So there's uh, lots of drama. Uh, wow uh, so that, that that's where i was saying like i have to be careful who i tell my story to yeah. 
because they just see this Moroccan from Britain must think I'm rich and they'll do anything for a passport. Oh yeah. And um wow. Yeah, I got myself in a sticky situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh jeez. Well, it's great that you were able to um meet your foster parents because a lot of us and me included, I was in foster care for about 10 weeks and I don't know who took care of me, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, well, so I have no clue. So like so like even talking about your 10 weeks there we um for I, I, for some reason at age 30 31 i wanted all the answers to my first year of my life or basically so but why did i not think that at age 19 and, I, yeah. and my answer to that is um when you experience trauma sometimes it takes a while for it to kick in or a while for it to crop up which were what i've met seen with other adoptees so when i go to some of these groups some of these, some of the adoptees says, I've just randomly thought about this, and now all I need to know is I want to find my family. All I want to do is speak to other adoptees. So that's so as I said, when we are a minority from one to five percent of the population, we all kind of need to stick together, and that's why. Yeah. And then so I'm I tell my story to anyone and everyone who will listen, and people come and then randomly people say I'm adopted too as well, and it's great. And then yeah, you feel a, yeah. you feel a connection with them. Yeah, definitely. And so when you went to Morocco, did you find anything out about your biological family? Were you able to find anything out? No, no, unfortunately not. So um, the the way people usually search for family is they use the DNA sites. The two most popular ones are 23andMe and Ancestry. And Mm -hmm. I've I've done both of them. I'm a highest match as a third cousin, which is very low. So even, mm-hmm. and there's these people out there called search angels who look for you for free. There's companies that do it that you can pay, but there's these people who do it for free and they think, Ryan, your job's too hard. The TV programs in the UK say, sorry, Ryan, um, we can't help, we can't help you. So it's, just, it's a lot mm-hmm. of negative, like, so my, my story is a needle in the haystack. And um, I went to, uh, see, when you go to Morocco, you have to um, speak to the courts and you have to uh, speak to the registry office and speak to the police. So when I went there, it's not a, it's not a holiday. I'm turning up to about the hospital. The hospital are sending me away to send you to, to A, to B, to C, to D. You're, waiting, you're mm-hmm. waiting in each places. You have to pay some money. It was nice to see my name in a book that says 1990. And then my, because mm. my name is Ryan Anderson. I was, um, my mother gave me the name Rashid, and it's seen it's seen my name there, my adopted mother. But yeah. um, sometimes there is hidden information in these files, and you, and you need to you need to ask the, the courts to get it. So when they checked my file, they said no, no hidden information for you, and um, mm. it's, it's it's just like a needle in the haystack. Uh, if, yeah. if, by chance, there might be something. So the only other ways I can look for my family is by what I call making noise, telling anyone and everyone. I, I went. Yeah. I was on TV twice in Morocco. Uh, this was the first time I went. I just rocked up to uh, the TV studios and says, "Hi, I'm trying to look for my family. Can you take my story?" <laughs> and they went, "Yeah, no problem." I came down with a camera awesome. and they went. Think of two. Think of something to say in two minutes. Go, <laughs> put, me, put, me, put me on the spot. But it's all. Oh my god! It's all right getting that 
better coverage. But then what happens when nothing comes of it? Yeah. So then you need to keep making noise. And sometimes you feel like an attention seeker. Um, mm. So, yeah, I'm, uh, there, there is another way of me looking to find my family. Is I've got an illness called Bichette's. It's just a um, immune system. Um, randomly, I can be weak and affect my muscles, eyesight. Um, mm. so yeah, it's just it's a very rare illness. So then I met my doc. Uh, I got a doctor who looked after me when I gave me my jags and stuff. He was on some of my paperwork. He remembered me from thirty three years ago. I found him um, in Morocco. Oh my and he gosh! Says, I told him about my illness, and he said that's a very rare illness. So he said, he still lives in that city. So he said, if I find anyone with the same illness as you, there's a possibility that it could be related. So everything's just a waiting game. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. All I'm doing is trying to get on TV, newspapers, tell anyone who's Moroccan and see yeah. if anyone if anyone remembers having a baby in, 19, in February 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, um, yeah, that's what chance have I got. Yeah. Um, you never know. It's, it's a slim chance. You never exactly. know. Exactly. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. It's, you know, just hearing you say how it felt to see your name written down in that book, just even those little tiny things, at least it makes you feel like you were actually born, you know, exactly. like that, that little piece means so much, even though that's yeah. all you could really get. Yeah. I go, I go off on tangents. So excuse me, but what, when you meant like that 10, uh, you you had, you were fostered for ten mm-hmm. weeks at age thirty one till now. Why am I trying to find out the first pages of my book, the first days? Why does it matter when it does, it matters a lot? Yeah. Um, so sometimes it just something clicks in your brain and you go, I need to know. Um, and it happens to lots of people where people try to try and find families or if a friendship or a relationship breaks down and then. They don't, they don't speak to each other and randomly someone will get back in touch. Yeah. Something happens in your brain, doesn't it? Just to be like, I want to know. Yeah. So why do you think adoptees want to search for their birth families? Why not? <laughs> um, the, so it's just like, if, if our pages of our book is empty, do we not deserve to find them? Do we not deserve answers? Something that people take for granted. Why do we, why should we not have answers? Yeah. And it is important to not let it take up that much of your life. Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like I'm failing at the moment because it's uh, it has taken up on my life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you're if I'm that passionate about it, then why not? It's like soul searching, life story yeah. work. Yeah, I always wonder why some people want to search and some don't. Some people just don't have that need, and others are like really feel strongly about it with me i'm a needle in the haystack we're finding my journey it's sort of it's like a lottery uh under 0.01 percent but that's enough for me and then that that can be motivating to others and then there's also even if i don't if i find something and it's not what i'm looking for i'll be upset but i should recover Mm-hmm. And if I don't find something, at least I'll known or tried, because yeah. um, I would have lived life without regret if, 
if um, if that's if it's always on my mind. Yeah. Now you were able to find a third cousin, right? Was that the yep. closest? Third cousin, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's yeah, the, the, and all the all the cousins. All so I'm whenever I connect with someone on Ancestry Twenty Three and Me, any of the sites, I message them, and they all come back with. I tell them everything about me. <laughs> And they all come back and they're all supportive. Uh, but the one main cousin, um, he was he was fantastic. He he was answering phone calls all the time, translating for me. Nice. Uh, and I actually went and met him in New York. Um, ah. And they they treat they treated me like family. It wow. was uh, it was uh, not many people can not many people can say they travelled uh, halfway across the world to stay with. Uh, yeah. So is that where he lives? Is in New York? New York, yeah. And um stay with relatives and um yeah, got along like a house on fire. Yeah. Um I bring over lots of uh, uh goodies from uh Scotland. Uh, like a it's everything anything Scottish I bought it and I was like, handing it out <laughs> and they were very thankful and yeah. they get they were giving me lots of Moroccan food and uh just learn about the culture, really, and t- also try to teach me Arabic as well a little bit. Oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> so I've only got some words. But, yeah, so uh, a third cousin's kind of removed, so they probably really didn't know, like, couldn't trace back anything for no, you. No, no, because as, as I said, some of the search angels they said, Ryan, it's, it's difficult, very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's very difficult. Yeah. So it's uh, if if anyone, if you know anything about family trees. They get so confusing, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's it's mind blowing. I don't know nothing about it, <laughs> um, but if anyone's got a third cousin, that's I was going to say it's good enough for me, but it's it's something. It's something. And by me going to Morocco, I'm making friends. I'm meeting people. I'm I'm going up to people. I'm going, hello, what's your number? Here's my story. <laughs> I'm yeah. stopping people on the street. I'm speaking to the police on the beach. I'm yeah. just walking up to them, going, I don't showing them a video, and then they're they're circulating around in the, and then this guy, someone who can speak English, is phoning me, going, "Wow, your story!" Because they're all amazed by it. Yeah, but wow. everyone who they, some Moroccans, they they tell you that they they believe that I'll find my family. They say, "Inshallah, God willing." Mm-hmm. Um, but it's and then some people. Say, like I've had a few times. Say, we found your mum. We found her. Oh gosh! And then, and then it's a de- and that's a dead end. Mm. Um, and, I, and then there's also people who say, "I'm your cousin. I'm your brother." And then they yeah. just want money. I was gonna say, are they just? Yeah. yeah. Oh man. But, wow. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah. Because then the point is, what happens when I do find my family? Then, what? What? How will I feel after that? Yeah. My mindset is I'll cross that bridge when I come to it. Yeah, but definitely. Um, that's why I feel different to other adoptees, because some have found their family, some it's went well, some it's not, and yeah, unfortunately, with us adoptees, we get um, we're bottom of the pile sometimes. Like the relationship goes straight, and then one minute it just get dropped again. Yeah, and, that's kind um, of what happened to me. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, yeah. can be t- tough to deal with at times. So that's why it's important us adoptees, with all the groups I go to, we all stick together. 
and um, I've got lots of adoptee friends who who really care for me. Yeah. And but I can be very stubborn, and uh, I don't like to reach out or get help. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just it's the man thing, really, isn't it? But, <laughs> uh, so, were you went, ever were you ever in the fog, the adoption fog? Do you did you feel like you ever were? Um, I wouldn't say in the fog, no, because. I never thought like my adoption was great. I never thought I was fine. Yeah. I was, I was, it was just one distraction after another. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I just, and it's, and it's still now. I, I, I live quite a fast paced life mm-hmm. just to distract myself. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just a adrenaline junkie. I need uh, to do crazy spontaneous things just to distract myself yeah um so i wouldn't say i was ever in the fog but and then the more i educate myself regarding mental health regarding adoption um when i have my down days i i beat myself up because i feel like i should know better like Mm. uh, when i'm not strong enough to fight away my negativity or when I can't pull myself out of bed or when I'm just thinking negative, it's, I feel like I should know better, but yeah. I am, I am coping more. What do those days look like for you? And what's actually going through your mind? What are you thinking on those down days? Thinking what, what job are you doing on this earth? Are, are you helping anyone? Um, why are you searching for your family? You're wasting your life. Um, yeah, it just feels like, um, if you relive every mistake you've done, um, when you set yourself goals and you're not moving as quickly as possible, you're beating yourself up. Um, if you're making mistakes, um, for instance, taking too much alcohol, too much drugs, um, that uh, can then spiral into not wanting to leave the house, anxiety, depression, and then yeah, you, so so you're, it's only yourself to blame because I I fell into that trap, and when I've when I've educated myself about it, I feel like I shouldn't. Yeah, it seems like you are an advocate for mental health yeah. now. And what advice do you have for people that are kind of going through the same thing? What helped well, you? Well, it's just basically find their balance um, in life, and that's balance whether someone's taking drugs every weekend, just taking it every day, gradually reduce, um, or even do stuff to benefit their mental health, whether it's cold water swimming, exercise, socialising. I've got uh, I've got friends who are um, clean, been clean for five years, some who have been clean for six months, some who are in a bad place taking it every day, and each person is different. They can't. It's not just. I, I was able to stop for a year like that, and some people yeah. it's better maybe just to reduce it. And some people just. I got friends who just seclude themselves and hide away, just like what I do. And um, it's important to have like the right people around you, um, and obviously not just not just your own thoughts because that can be that can be the worst, can't it? 
Yeah. So do you feel like you can heal from adoption trauma or is that just something that we have to learn how to deal with? Yeah, I feel like I can heal. Um, it's all about just trying to create your own family. So um, I've got lots of friends, got good adopted family. My mum's great. Um, we all wish we had that perfect life where we had all our family around us and the best of friends and and something you just have to make do with what you got. Some people haven't got family and then their yeah. friends are the family. And then people who haven't got friends just know that the support groups out there um, for whatever situation you're in. Um, I go to a lot of uh, mental health stuff related in Edinburgh, whether it's exercise classes just for mental health, whether it's going to meals. When I go to these meals, I speak to lots of people who have got mental health and I, I do my best to have a conversation with them and just have the time take the time out to, to chat to them and make them feel better. And then yeah, that, that, that just, in a way makes me feel better. Yeah, just knowing that you're not alone is huge. Yeah. So the, the support groups support groups really helped me. And um, yeah, just talking about my story. And I always like to put a spin on it. Like I've, uh, I've experienced that I'm going through, I've got a very, very tough task. But I'm still smiling. I'm still uh, out enjoying life, and I'm doing a lot of things alone because as I get older, I can't just pick up the phone and say, "All right, do you want to do this? Do you want to do that?" I go out and do it alone, and then that, mm. that then I get messages from people saying, "That's brilliant. I love that," and uh, <laughs> it's spontaneous. Yeah. So obviously, sometimes, yeah. sometimes even doing things alone. Because uh, sometimes you're not going to have everyone to hold your hand, whether it's going to the gym, go for a walk. Sometimes you need someone and sometimes you've got to do it on your own. So then Yeah, that balance that you're talking about again. Yeah, yeah just um, I mean, that healthy balance. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you just yeah. need, and it's very, very hard for me to do things alone. I would love it if I had someone just to come in and pick me up by the scruff of the neck and go, right, we're doing this. And then yeah. I'm very stubborn, but I do, I do that for others as well because I know what it's like to be in a dark place. But at the same time, it's the balance again. I help a lot of people, but then sometimes I feel drained or done too much and I've soaked up too much negativity and then I just crash. Yeah. So I'm still working all that out because, yeah, just trying to know your boundaries and stuff. Trying to get that balance, yeah. Because um, learning to say no is a big one as well. Because you just you feel like you have to say yes to everything, whether it's someone asking yeah. someone asking for money, whether it's someone say we do this for me now, and yeah, it's you just, I know I have a hard time saying no too. Yeah, but <laughs> same. Yeah. same. I'm always jumping in, and I'm like, why did I just do that? I always say that I'm <laughs> I'm just winging it. I'm just I'm not got anything figured out because everyone keeps saying I've got a good life, and it's. Maybe it is a good, maybe it is a good life, maybe, um, but I'm just winging it at the moment and trying to have right. fun and try to keep smiling, spread positivity, and, yeah. and then also and help others, help other adoptees as well. I love speaking to other adopted people, telling my story, and um, yeah, the adoption world can suck you up a little bit 
sometimes I feel yeah. like yes, that was uh, that was a great conversation I had with someone. And other times I can feel like I don't want to talk about adoption anymore. So you, yeah. you you come you come to it as whatever your situation is in life. Like so, sometimes when you get too involved with adoption, like you, you just get as I say, you get sucked up. So it's important to try and that word again, balance. And um, yeah. when you're not, when you can't be bothered talking about it, go out and enjoy life. Right. So how does it feel having a unique story? Does it kind of feel lonely or? Both feels, on my bad days, lonely. Um, everyone's, I've never, ha- never had a partner, a, like a relationship, um, a proper one. And um, other days I embrace it and go, mm. I love being different and yeah, wear it with like, like a badge of honour. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- there's days where I feel alone in the adoptee world, and there's days when I feel like I want to make a difference to the world. That just fluctuates depends on my mindset. Yeah, you just kind of have to meet yourself where you're at every day. And then, if I, if I'm honest, the alcohol and drugs was in benefiting me, um, mm. and I noticed. Like, say if I had 10 nights out, I'd wake up in the morning, I'd, I'd only feel okay three times out of that 10. So, yeah. um, as long as it, the, the nights out were great, but the mind blanks and um, yeah, yeah. and the feelings after it, it was like only three mm. times it felt worth it, worth it out of 10. And yeah. then with the, the partying aspect, you're probably not, unless you need to, you're never, there's no point in like completely cutting it out, but it's good to take breaks to give your body a reset, your mind a reset. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's, as I say, it's different for each person because yeah. Um, yeah. I come, my family don't, are not involved in that party life. And then there's me as a party boy. Uh, so I, <laughs> then I feel different that way. <laughs> right. But that must be the Moroccan in you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Moroccans like to party as well. I've been to a few clubs out there. <laughs> so kind of in closing, what would you like struggling adoptees to know? Um, I would like them to know that there's lots of resources out there. Resources from podcasts like yourself to to blogs, to books, to YouTube videos. Uh, we can watch other inspiring adoptees or people like there's a guy called Paul Sutherland who does a talk about adoption um, there's support groups out there uh, online ones there's also face to face ones and they're not very exit and there's loads of companies, organisations and all this information is not very accessible you have to research it mm-hmm. but then I want to be like if you message me, I'll do all that for you. <laughs> so, it's, so, so I'm like, I'm networking. I'm introducing people and be like, um, I, Ryan, I, I want, I'd like to come along to a support group. No problem. There's these ones available. You pick. And, nice. Um, or I'd like to listen to podcasts. These are the ones I know. I'd like to, mm-hmm. I'd like to read a book. Okay, here's the, here's the top ones. Any videos? Any blogs? Um. Yeah, there's 
There's a, there's a lot. To start a website of resources for adoptees. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've got a spreadsheet that I've started, but I'm not very good at uh, the IT part. But yeah. um, what I would say is over the, my two, three years in the adoptee world, see, when I saw adoptees get together, the conversations that I had, everyone comes away feeling inspired. Um, that's so they do a thing like adoption week. I think these guys do adoption month. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm. events that happen over here in the UK where we all get get together on Zoom and or the, there's meetups and yeah. people make a big deal about adoption for the adoptees and mm -hmm. um, some of the the benefits people have uh, had from attending the events been great. And then and then it's yeah. networking. It's people are making big moves in the adoptee world getting together and then to try to make a difference and yeah then, there's a big movement right now just a big push i've seen in the last just couple of years you know that we're really educating the world on what really happens and it's getting out there and you know little by little like you said we're a small population but we just need to keep telling our stories and mm -hmm keep getting that narrative out there of the truth about what can happen and how we feel and yeah. all those things. And even like less adoption. I was, I went to an advocacy group here in Edinburgh and then they sent me to a conference and that conference was regarding mental health. And I then looked at all the resources Scotland had for Edinburgh and uh, city. And I was like, wow, look how many companies are out there that I didn't know existed. And I came away from that conference looking, feeling inspired. And yeah. that, was, that wasn't even adoption related. So there's stuff out there regarding mental health. There could be more, just like there could be more with the adoptee, adoption. But um, this day and age, there is a push. And um, those who have mental health, the best way to deal with it is to try and educate yourself about it. Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what I'm trying to do but yeah so how do we find you if somebody wants to get in touch with you and has questions about any of those things you were just talking about or mm -hmm. wants to find out more about your story yeah so I've got or maybe knows your relatives yeah, <laughs> yeah. they get a hold of you <laughs> exactly uh come along to Morocco with me on a road trip <laughs> yeah. no uh, um so I've got a 15-minute YouTube video that just tells my life story. That's on YouTube. Um, mm -hmm. I've got a 20-page um, written version, which goes into more detail. I kind of over-explained in it, but um, that's only dating up to 2020. So I still need to update it. But yeah. um kind of gives an insight of my life and my personality. And quite a lot of people said it's a good read. And yeah, I do have Facebook and I've got Instagram. Facebook, Ryan Anderson. Instagram, it's Pesci37. Pesci is my name. And um, okay. on my Facebook, it's got a list of any time I was in the newspaper, any time a podcast I've done, any YouTube video. And yeah, whenever there's an opportunity to do a podcast or to do a survey, quite a lot of students like to do surveys regarding adoptees or Mm -hmm. um, wherever there's uh, doing a, a film or a play I'm like I put, I'm the first one to put my hand up because <laughs> I don't know why but talking about my story or just trying to 
speak about mental health makes me feel like I'm doing something. Yeah. Um, because at the moment when I'm just at a standstill with my search, I feel yeah. I feel like like I'm itchy feet. I should be doing something. So I'm very grateful for you having me on this podcast. So thank you. Oh. Yeah, we'll have all those links in the show notes to get um, if someone wants to get in touch with you. And we didn't really get into the specifics of what you do know, like your birthday and all that stuff, just in case somebody that is listening, what do you know the specifics? I was born in the town of El Jadida in Morocco on the 19th of February, 1990. That's, um, that's all I know. And yeah, it's... What I like to do is, if you know anyone who's Moroccan, send them my story and see if they know someone who knows someone. Uh-huh. And that's the only way I'm going to find my family. Okay. <laughs> and um, that, I'm hoping, might work. Yeah. Pos- positive thinking. Yeah. Uh, law of attraction kind of stuff. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, and if it doesn't, at least I tried. But yeah. let's think positive and it will. Wow. And then, and I've got, I've got to understand it won't happen overnight, will it? These things take time, just like with all, just like with all adoption people. Like some people spend years looking for their family. Yeah. Well, Ryan, I hope you find that needle in a haystack. Fingers crossed. I hope it comes tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know. Uh Keep us updated. And thanks for coming on and telling your story. Nice one. Thank you for having me. Take care. What a unique story Ryan has. And I just hope that he does find that needle in a haystack and finds some of his biological family. And like Ryan said, if you know anyone from Morocco, please share this episode with them so that maybe he can find his family. He has such a big heart and wants to help fellow adoptees. All his links are in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with Ryan or if you're interested in reading more about his story, All those links are there for you. And as Ryan and I were discussing mental health issues, I just want to remind you that I offer somatic mindful guided imagery sessions. So whether you have unhealed adoption trauma, you are having some blocks in your professional or personal life, SMGI can give you quick, easy, and profound results in just a few sessions. I am giving a 20% discount to adoptees through August, so you have a few more days to get in touch with me if you're at all interested. I do free 15-minute consultation calls if you're at all interested in finding out more. So whether SMGI related or you would like to tell your adoption story, you can email me at mindyourownkarma at gmail.com. You can email me on my website, mindyourownkarma.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and also YouTube. So I hope to hear from you soon. And as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. And always remember to mind your own karma. I'll see you next time.